Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Stripe tap to pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Daily Tech News Show is powered by you. To find out more, head to dailytechnewsshow.com slash support. This is the Daily Tech News for Friday, June 22nd, 2018 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. It's the second day of summer in Cleveland. I'm Len Peralta. And very excited to have Megan Rose Dickey, senior reporter at TechCrunch, on the show. (laughs) Hi, Megan. Hey, everyone. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. We're going to Former co-worker of mine. Indeed. Indeed, indeed. (laughs) Well, it's good to see you. You too, yeah. You know, in a a totally different uh, situation. We're going to talk with Megan a little bit about startups and diversity and probably solve all the Internet's problems in a little bit. Our producer, Roger Chang, is here putting this whole show together. Roger. Hello. Thank you. Let's start with a few tech <laughs> things you should know. Movie ticket subscription service Cinemia announced new family plans, which now include up to six people and up to three movies per month per person. A premium option can add IMAX and 3D movies as well. Cinemia works with Fandango, Movie Tickets, and Adam Tickets and is available in Australia, the UK, Turkey, Canada, and the US. Twitter announced it was acquiring the trust and safety as a service startup Smite to help it better address issues related to online abuse, harassment, spam, and security on its platform. But it's also decided to immediately shut down access to Smite's API, and it didn't really warn people, leaving some of Smite's existing customers no time to transition to a new service provider. So they're not happy. Podcast app PocketCast is now out of private beta for Android and open to all Android users. Still in beta, just open. The company tweeted that the open beta might have some broken builds, but welcomes the public to test new features by grabbing the app from the Google Play Store. PocketCast was acquired in May by a collective group including NPR, WNYC, uh, WBEZ in Chicago, and This American Life. All right, let's talk a little bit more about uh, some details coming out of the police investigation of the Uber crash in Arizona. A Tempe, Arizona police report says evidence showed that the safety driver in the Uber vehicle that struck and killed a pedestrian was streaming a television show on her phone at the time of the accident. Records from Hulu showed the driver streaming The Voice until approximately the time of the crash, then it stopped. Uh, The report calls the accident entirely avoidable because of this. Uh, The video shows her looking down for five plus seconds at a time. Uh, The driver, Rafael Vasquez, could face manslaughter charges. That has not been determined yet. 
Well, um, my first question is always, how does Hulu know for sure that she hadn't given her account to somebody else and this was actually what she was doing? Fair enough. She, they don't. Oh. Uh, they, they only know that her account was streaming that at the time, right? Yeah, and granted, I mean, the video showed that she was distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, granted that just because she was distracted and clearly looking at her phone, it doesn't mean that it was Hulu, but if it was her account, then it seems yeah, it all kind seems of- like she probably was. Yeah, it all kind of fits. And and that may be the difference between saying we de- deem this an avoidable wreck, but we're not sure if we're bringing charges uh, is is those kind of areas of doubt there. But well, I, it, oh, sorry, go ahead, Megan. Oh, no, I was also just going to say, OK, no, you go. No, I got it. OK, <laughs> so go ahead. Also just all right. Let me go then. OK, uh, so I was just going to say that. I mean, yes, she, the safety driver, needs to be paying attention in these autonomous vehicles. But I still think the real problem was the fact that Uber's software didn't, like, didn't act on its own. Because that's, like, the whole promise of these autonomous vehicles, that these cars will be able to make good, sound, safe decisions and theoretically shouldn't need that safety driver. Granted, it didn't help that the software failed. And then on top of that the safety driver wasn't paying attention. So it was just two things that went wrong. And I don't know, I just want to make sure that we're not totally putting the blame on the driver. Although, yes, she could have been, she should have been paying attention. Yeah, there's there's more than one and probably more than two reasons that this happened. Uh, and, you know, I was talking in our Slack earlier. Look, it's easy to vilify her. But mm-hmm. remember, you're in a car that you've been, in for a long time and it hasn't messed up and you're relying you get reliant on that that oh well it'll it'll stop itself if there's a problem you're on an empty road where you don't expect there to be any obstacles uh you are not at a crosswalk so you wouldn't expect someone to walk in front of you those aren't excuses but all of us would be tempted to not pay as much attention i would hope that all of us would you know if we were in this position uh, double down and make sure that we didn't give into that temptation. But it's, you know, there, there are conditions here that would lead you to want to not pay attention. And if you're in this position, you should pay attention. Uh, that, that safety net that she got lulled into experiencing just didn't work this time. Yeah. I, I think a big part of this is, this is, you know, these are safety tests. In a perfect mm-hmm. world, these cars are going to work so well that people could be able to stream video. You know, it sounds crazy to us, but that's the whole idea is that the car does the job itself. This is jumping the gun a little bit. So, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. Down the road, maybe she would have been, you know, watching a movie and it wouldn't have been such a big deal. But it's kind of hard to side with somebody who's seeming lax during something that's supposed to be proving what autonomous vehicles are yeah and i mean and as it stands today i mean um well granted i'm actually not sure of the the law in arizona but like at least in california it is illegal to like have your have your phone in your hand when you're behind the wheel Mm. so um yeah again i'm not sure exactly what the legislation is in arizona well and and how is that a legislation applied in this kind of case where you're doing test vehicle is another interesting question yeah 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 Yeah, i think there's still a lot of like things to be worked out around you know liability and yeah (laughs) let's talk about vidcon specifically youtube announcing new revenue options for creators all creators with 100,000 or more subscribers 
who are also older than 18, can now offer memberships for $4.99 a month, five bucks a month, which includes custom badges, an exclusive emoji, as well as members-only posts and other perks. Creators with more than 10,000 subscribers can offer up to 20 merchandise options from their channel page in partnership with Teespring. Creators who use brand sponsor company FameBit can offer their own merchandise from the same area. YouTube is also adding premieres for scheduling the first stream of pre-recorded video with chat. So, I mean, one of the complaints about YouTube has been a lack of monetization options, even from some of their biggest stars. And and this certainly is an effort to try to allay those fears and say, hey, that thing we were using with YouTube gaming now available for everybody. Granted, you have to have 100,000 subscribers, so this isn't going to help you till you get popular. Uh, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Does, does this... How far does this go in calming down the 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 sort of pitchfork crowd? Well, I I, I don't know. I mean, th- this definitely seems like YouTube is taking, you know, a page from Patreon and Twitch and some other social networks that are also video based and 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 offering merchandise options. As we all know, merchandise options can be really lucrative. Doesn't mean that if you have 10,000 subscribers, you're going to make a lot of money selling t-shirts. But if you want to put more effort into that, to have YouTube help you build it into the community you've already uh, started to build. I mean, I think some people are probably going to be happy about this. It's also more work. Yeah, it's absolutely more work. And I mean, I think it's just... And I think it's good that YouTube is doing this because, of course, they don't want to lose their creators to to other platforms. And um, I mean, even Instagram just this week announced a, a longer form like video feature. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of growing competition in this space. Yeah. And I think they're taking on Patreon a little bit here, too, because having a regular subscription uh, is is sort of competing with Patreon. Patreon just announced that they are also going to add the ability to auto deliver merch uh, with a partnership with a merchandise provider. Uh, so so that they've YouTube kind of scooped them on that. Uh, and, and the brand sponsor thing is is very endemic to YouTube. If If I'm uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm brownie, brownie cameras is my, my brand. Uh, I can now just sell brownie cameras in my YouTube, uh, merchandise section. And, and that's going to, that's going to work really good for branded content. Megan, do you follow anyone on YouTube that you are not, not just anybody, but anybody okay. that you are, you know, you're, you're enough of an, a fan and, you know, audience member loyal that you would pay $5 a month? No, but I also don't, I watch very little on YouTube. Like, this is really not for me. Um, I think, remember Francesca Ramsey? She did those videos. This was, like, years ago. So, like, this was the last time I was on YouTube was maybe four years ago when she did this video, um, like, shit white girls say to black people or something like that. And I'd buy her merchandise, but now she has her own website, and I don't need to do it through YouTube. Gotcha. Daily Tech News Show. Not sponsored by Brownie Cameras. <laughs> In the case of Carpenter versus the United States, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled five to four that police must generally show probable cause and therefore obtain a warrant to obtain cell phone tower records to determine a phone's location. This is just about determining location in the past. It's a very narrow ruling. It doesn't even apply to live tracking. It doesn't apply to data or anything else. But to go to a cell phone company and say, we want you to show us where this phone was in the past by your tower records, you have to get a warrant. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote that the fact that the information is held by a third party does not by itself overcome the user's claim to Fourth Amendment protection. 
And that had been the case up until now is courts had ruled, well, if a third party holds information, you don't have an expectation of privacy because the third party knows it. And so therefore, you don't need a warrant for this stuff. And the Supreme Court is saying, well, in this case, this is such valuable information just because it's stored with a third party uh, doesn't get rid of your rights. This is a big deal. Uh, You know, like a lot of people are worried about this sort of thing as far as, you know, uh, protecting your privacy. So I think it's maybe unusual that that I I don't think people would have expected the Supreme Court to rule this way, maybe. Well, I mean, it seems to me that this is very logical because cell phone data might be held by a third party if if there's if police have a warrant, the fact that they're not uh, maintaining the data from that cell tower that wouldn't excuse them going after somebody if, again, there's probable cause and that's mm-hmm. all very relative. Yeah, I think that's the surprising part is this seems logical and yet it's also how they ruled. <laughs> <laughs> you just said yesterday you love the Supreme Court, Justice. I do. I'm yeah. a fan of the Supreme Court. That doesn't mean I agree with them every time. <laughs> exactly. Moving on to Facebook. Facebook expanded its Messenger Kids app outside the U.S. to Canada and Peru and added Spanish and French support in all of these markets. The app also requires parents and children to agree to be kind, be respectful, be safe, and have fun before using the app. Okay. Facebook also (laughs) added kindness stickers and will also add an appreciation mission to encourage appreciation of friends and family. This app has been criticized by some child psychologists, so clearly Facebook is going real in on how much fun and safe and kind it all is which is not a bad thing you will just, have fun you have agreed to have fun <laughs> you will have fun in the facebook way yeah i mean it's clearly wanting to you know get those people over from snapchat and because i mean there I, I feel like there's an article every day about how the youths are abandoning facebook and facebook is really needing to try to figure out a way to you know like maintain that audience but then on the flip side um like my colleague sarah perez like she's She's thought deeply about, you know, like how she wants her kid to use social media and Facebook. And so, I mean, it's definitely a concern that parents have around um, around privacy. So it's so in this case, like, yes, you know, the app requires the the parents to to agree to certain things. But um, yeah, I don't know. Facebook is a is a tricky place. Mm, I've been I, off of it for a while. As a parent, I will just make this one observation. This kind of reminds me of what they used to do with breakfast cereals when they wanted to get kids. They would make all these child-friendly things, even though what they were serving you was a bowl full of sugar. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, especially with so much of the concern being online, whether it's cyberbullying or, or getting into places you don't think your kid belongs, you know, I they it, this just seems like a lot of paint on t- uh, like a very thin veneer of nice and children f- child friendly without necessarily kind of addressing the the innate issues that are within Facebook. Well, the, the, when we announced the launch of Messenger for Kids, there there are a lot of things they do in this app to address those issues. Uh, I think we need to be fair on that. But but your point remains: uh, getting kids used to using Messenger does open them up to you know other kids, even if they're approved by parents. Uh, uh, to do what kids do. And I think your breakfast cereal analogy is perfect because what Facebook wants is these six to 12 year olds to grow up to use regular Facebook instead of Snapchat, like Megan was saying. So this this is sort of the entryway into to getting them in the door. 
UK solar energy company B-Box is partnering with DC Go to provide off-grid electricity in Lesotho, South Africa, and Swaziland. The product will offer pay-as-you-go use of the solar equipment, and they plan to target people who either don't have access to reliable electricity, including those who use unauthorized grid connections, which a lot of times can be dangerous because they're not properly shielded or monitored. Uh, B-Box signed a contract with the Democratic Republic of Congo earlier this month to provide off-grid solar energy to 2.5 million citizens by 2020. I, I think this is important to note because a lot of times we think, oh, solar energy, that's what uh, Elon Musk provides to people in suburban areas in, in Europe and the United States. And this is a great example of how it can be used uh, to pro- provide energy to, to people who really need it. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe tap-to-pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. You know, I mean, I... Oh, go on, Sarah. No, you you go. I went last time. You go. (laughs) No, you're my guest. I insist. (laughs) I mean, I was just, I was just gonna say that. I mean, there, there was that time when Elon, when um, after like the crisis in Puerto Rico, like Elon Musk like provided solar energy. So, I mean, of course, it's not just yet in suburban areas, but there are really like potential like massive like benefits of really ensuring that this solar energy and this technology is you know international. Yeah, and affordable too. Right, and affordable, of course. Hey, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to Daily Tech Headlines at dailytechheadlines.com. 
So, Megan, two stories that you covered uh, recently on TechCrunch caught my eye. One was uh, VC firm Kane & Partners set aside, mm-hmm. setting aside $20 million of its fund to be allocated for investment by its two youngest employees, uh, Hutan Rashidafard, who's 28, and Adina Teklu, who's 27. The other was the story that the number of black women receiving more than a million dollars in investment has risen from 12 in 2015 to 34 in 2017. Now, the number of startups led by black women has risen from 84 to 227, so it's still a small percentage. Mm-hmm. But I think the obvious take on these stories is diversity in tech is improving but still has a long way to go. I think another thing to think about is that if you want to solve a lot of these problems in tech, like we're talking about the abusive data and privacy, mm-hmm. you need different perspectives from right. founders on the ground floor. Uh, it, it seems like I'm not saying that these are the the panacea, obviously, but these are good programs to help encourage that, right? Yeah, I mean, with the one with uh, Canon Partners is is super cool. Like, I'm I'm really into it um, because the, the idea is that you know, oftentimes, I mean, the VC industry is predominantly older white men, so that's a very limited seventy two percent, right? I think according, yeah, to, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's there are very few like young people of color who actually have a decision in saying like this should get money this shouldn't get money etc so so the idea like what what canaan is kind of betting on is that by having these two younger people who also just happen to be people of color that they'll be able to see things that other other investors might miss out on and in doing that be able to better serve the actual population of the world and not just like one one select group of people and and yeah, I mean, as you said earlier, the the obvious take is yes, diversity is slowly <laughs> slowly improving, uh, like at a snail's pace, and there's still work to be done. And I think that'll unfortunately continue to be the story for for years to come. That will just be these like minor increments increments in progress, but no really like massive over uh, overarching changes. I, I think that one of the ways, one of the reasons that that happens is you have people in charge of the companies who, despite their best efforts, have a certain perspective and they're naturally inclined to say, oh, but this person's really good at this job because they're like me, right? That's true mm-hmm. of all of us. And so to combat that, you need different founders who who have different perspectives and say, oh, but this person is like me, so I'm going to I'm going to bring them along. Uh, and and then you start to balance out and you start to look at people based on uh, what kind of ideas they bring in and how good it is rather than, oh, I just want to have more of the same. So that's why I think these these two programs in particular caught my eye as being important, because this is planting the seed. Like you say, it takes a long time for that tree to grow. Yeah. And, and some of this came up even just in the uh, the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal. Like I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying, you know, like, this is kind of what happens when you have um, when you don't have a diverse set of people working on problems, like even like beyond, you know, like race, uh, gender, sexual orientation. But just if you don't have a diverse group of people, then you're going to miss out on certain things like you need you need you need optimists and you need pessimists like the ones thinking like, OK, what is the worst case scenario? How can this technology be abused? Like what effect could this have as opposed to all people just kind of all thinking the same way about things and not really thinking about the the broader implications. 
Going back to Canaan Partners, Megan, I don't know if you know Hutana and Adina or either of them. 28 and 27, you know, as a person in tech and VC, it's like they're not that young. You know? I know, yeah, they're pretty old. <laughs> But, but as a, you know, as, as, as a firm usually is structured, that would be on the younger side to right. allocated quite a bit of money. But at the same time, you know, you read a headline like this and you say, oh, wow, that's, you know, that's, that's great. You know, they're, they're listening to the youth. They have to, because the, these two, uh, 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 as well as, you know, many other peers in, in that age group, you see things that as an older person, not that, you know, once you get to a certain age, you don't know what the tech trends are anymore, but you start, you, you know, different trends because exactly. you, you live differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. These, I mean, they're like, well, who tend, he goes by Hootie just, you know, but um, so like um, Hootie and Adina, I mean, they, they started as analysts at, at the firm. And of course they had been kind of helping with investment decisions, but they'd never actually been given the opportunity to, you know, find companies on, on their own. And and Adina was telling me just that, you know, she she graduated from Stanford and like still kind of has that network of of like just out of college aged friends and acquaintances. And um, and also like something that the people often reference is just, you know, Jeremy Liu, one of the first investors in Snapchat, like it was his um, his one of his uh, partners at the firm, like his teenage daughter who like told him about Snapchat and like, so you kind of need, you need people like on the ground with, with the youth <laughs> to really, you know, figure Absolutely. out what the, yeah. the best thing is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't want to admit this, but more and more I'm like, who is that? <laughs> You know, like, oh, yeah. Who's the young person who can explain the context of this to me? <laughs> no, for the longest time, my wife was the one who kept me up to date on the cool stuff. And then we both got too old and it was her younger sister. Now her younger sister's getting older. And we're like, where are the young, cool people to make sure we know what's going on? Like it just you, if, if you're in a circle that is homogenous, just think of of age. And that will give you an example of like how oh, there are perspectives that you need if you want to stay mm-hmm. conversant with what's happening out there. Well, and the whole idea of diversity being an issue and yes, going in the right direction. But as you mentioned, Megan, it's a trickle. Uh, The more that this gets shaken up, the more that things change because it's been the same way for a long time, even in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think we're definitely moving in the right direction. But um, but then unfortunately, like then you see, you know, the infamous uh, Google manifesto, that Mm -hmm. whole thing. And, you know, I was at. I was at a dinner last night with um, Salesforce's chief equality officer, Tony Profit. And, um, you know, we were just kind of talking about the memo and he was just saying that, you know, there's, there's a James DeMore at every single tech company, like that could happen anywhere. Um, And really it's about, it's about meeting people where they are and not necessarily trying to change their minds, but, at least help them to become allies. And um, he had, he had a lot of great examples that I'm totally blanking on now, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, or, or something that he said was, yeah, like you, uh, like an employee might support black lives matter or, or something and generally support black people, but that, you know, in this one particular police shooting, like maybe that person thought it, it was the, the kid's fault. Maybe they didn't think the police officer was at fault, but, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily like anti-black and don't mm. want you to, to do well. Um, 
yeah so i mean i think and i i think the ways that the diversity and inclusion conversation has evolved over the years has begun to include talk around allyship and people being accomplices and actually you know, trying to understand where people are coming from and then to support them in, in the workplace. Yeah. It's about dialogue, right? It's about yeah. talking. Yeah. Absolutely. Speaking of dialogue, thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. You can submit stories and also vote on stories at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. All right. Chris Christensen has some details on using the Amazon Echo in hotels. This is Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler with another Tech in Travel Minute. It was mentioned on the show this week that Amazon is rolling out into hotels a special version of their voice assistant, she who must not be named for hospitality. And while I felt a little left out that you announced it without me, I thought I'd add my two cents on this. One of the things that's interesting about this is that they are adding additional commands that are appropriate for the hotel, including controlling the drapes and ordering room service and finding out what time the spa is open or whether the pool is open. But the thing that wasn't mentioned is that one of the problems with these devices is knowing what commands are available. So some of the success of this program, and it's only rolling out to 10 Marriott's this summer, but some of the success is going to be dependent on is the signage or the information they give the guests enough information to know all of these special commands, not to mention the fact that this is also just a regular Amazon Echo or something in that family, and do enough people want to use them like they use them at home or not? That's the bet. We'll see. Hotels have certainly been known to invest in things like Android tablets that people don't end up using or that really fancy clock radio that you just end up unplugging because the light is keeping you awake. So we'll see how successful this project is. If anybody has stayed in one of the hotels that has this, I'd be really interested to hear about your experience. I'm Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler. Oh, man. I'm glad to know it's not just me that unplugs that light. <laughs> it's like, depending on the hotel, you know how some hotels have sort of paper-thin walls and you can hear the person's TV on the other side. Now you're going to hear the person being like, I love that. <laughs> ah, it's not working. No, close the drapes. Close the drapes. <laughs> close. Room service. <laughs> I mean, it's a great point. You can ask an Echo to tell you commands to use, but people aren't going to know to do that. There's a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right, let's see what's in the mailbag, Sarah. Let's do it. Jeff in Pennsylvania has some feedback on our Amazon story and state taxes from yesterday. The main issue with imposing sales tax collection obligations on Internet sellers is the sheer number of taxing jurisdictions. There are over 6,000 states and local municipalities who impose state uh, sales and use taxes, and the same item is often taxed differently. Sure, the Amazons of the world, they figure out how to tax correctly, but it's not easy, especially... If you're a small company, it might be more of a burden. I'm actually surprised that the Supreme Court changed course here. As in the Quill uh, uh, case, the court essentially said that this was a matter of Congress to fix, at least originally. Congress tried several times over the years, but the bills never went far. Yeah, and a lot of people pointed out, like, every state that collects sales tax also collects use tax. So even if you order from out of state, you aren't exempt from the tax. We were only talking about the retailers being exempt from the tax. Uh, and... Uh, we were discussing this morning uh, in our Slack about this, you know, 6,000 jurisdictions and how that would be handled. Turns out Amazon does collect local taxes, according to itself, uh, on it on its website. It says it collects state and local taxes. So 
because Roger noticed that when he ordered something uh, from Newegg when he lived in San Francisco, it was a different price than when he ordered it for Glendale uh, because they were charging the different municipal taxes there. So thank you, Jeff. Good to have uh, expertise writing in. Yeah, and thanks to everybody who wrote in. We got a lot of good feedback on this one. Yeah. All right, let's check in with Len Peralta, who has been illustrating during the show. What do you got for us, Len? Well, you know, I am very happy to see that uh, tech is getting younger and diversifying. <laughs> and if you're ever, if you remember the show, The Muppet Babies, yeah, uh, this is, you know, the it's the tech babies, the VC tech babies <laughs> who are getting that sweet, sweet VC money. I think this is the uh, this is the new show that's going to be on every tech channel. The VC tech babies. Uh, getting that sweet, sweet. VC I like money. that the baby has a Windows onesie. It. Like, take money. Take the <laughs> <Yeah>. money. <laughs> that's right. Take it. They don't know what to do with it, but yeah. that's all right. As long as we're giving it to the youth and uh, diversifying, I think it's all good. <laughs> Love that it. That is excellent. Thank that's you, Lad. Thank oh, you. Oh, no Len. problem. And also thanks to Megan Rose Dickey, first time on DTNS, but not the Thank last. Thank you for having me. No, this was great. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, you know, we we all know what you do all day, but you're not only a writer, but you have podcasts. Tell everybody where they can keep in touch with your work. Yeah, so I, I also do a podcast with my colleague Henry Pickvet. It's called Control T. Yep, there it is. And um you can subscribe on iTunes. Uh unfortunately we don't have a podcast page on our new website, which is unfortunate, but if you see it's just techcrunch.com slash tag slash control T. That's CTRL plus T. Um, and yeah, or follow me on Twitter. I'm just at Megan Rose Dickey. So hit me up. Excellent. Uh, patrons making my birthday dreams come true. We are up five patrons over last month. Uh, wanted to get us to 10 uh, by the end of the month. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep it up. Uh, lots of perks for folks who want to support the show. Not only do you give value back for the value you get from the show, uh, but you get a weekly column. Sarah had an interesting uh, take on the Echo this week. You can check that out at the associate producer level. Uh, you've got the Slack that I was mentioning earlier. So if you haven't already, uh, why not give us a dollar? It's only a dollar a month at the minimum. Patreon.com slash DTNS. If you have feedback, questions, anything for us, our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. Want to watch us live? We are live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. And find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back on Monday with Lamar Wilson. Talk to you then. is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more.
What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.